March 24th, big day. It's going to be exciting. We're hosting a live event uh, in honor of our 200th episode which is actually this episode (laughs) but we didn't want to do it like we didn't want to do just like a big episode because we do that really at the beginning and end of every season Mm -hmm. we wanted to do it during women's history month and we wanted to do like something more a little bit more fun yeah so i guess it's more of a celebration that we have done 200 200 episodes episodes. (laughs) we're gonna have live trivia we're gonna have other podcasts Mm -hmm. there we're gonna have a little cocktail making Mm -hmm. uh demo so we're really excited for you all to join us yes it's going to be so much fun um tickets they're coming up they're coming up we're gonna get them ready for you patreon members have first dibs yeah um so if you want first dibs on that and if you want to stick around for extra conversations that we have on the side you know and you know kind of get a feel for what this might be like Mm -hmm. (laughs) you can also join our patreon for just a dollar a month yeah All right. But we're not here to talk about that. No, we're here to talk about history. On the rocks. With Katie. And Allie. This is a podcast where we talk about famous women in history. We talk about good women and bad women and fictional women and non-fictional women from all times and places because women have nuance. But keep in mind, we are drinking the entire time. And we're not historians. No, not We're doing okay. I did all right tonight. There were not a lot of resources on my person, yeah. <laughs> but I feel like I could have dug deeper if I wanted to. <laughs> that was the problem I was having with mine. There weren't a lot of sources on her um, because she is the wife of a very famous person. Right. So tons of things on him, <laughs> but not much on her. Right, right, and it's right. a little frustrating. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's okay. But that's all right. Because sometimes we just have to bring the stories that are available. That's the problem with women's history. Mm-hmm. We're adding to the um, zeitgeist yes. of information. Exactly. <laughs> Um, but you are busy buying our tickets right now. Yes. You're like scanning our social media. You're like, okay, where's the Zoom link? How do I send the money on PayPal? Yep. It's like a whole thing. You're just getting prepped. Um, and thankfully, we're not Ticketmasters, so we're not going to screw you over on this. No, no, no. Uh, we're no waiting probably, rooms at all. It's going to be very inexpensive. Um, <laughs> but you're busy with that. Um, so you can't go on the other page and look up what these women look like. It's just going to be too much, too much for your internet browsing needs. Right. Um, so we're going to describe what they look like for you. We're going to get a little physical, physical. Ellie, who are you doing and what does she look like? I'm doing Gwen Eiffel and she's an African-American woman. Happy Black History Month, everybody. With a huge smile and sparkling eyes. She has a round-ish face with slightly curled dark brown hair she has a very tv ready appearance um in the fact that she just looks shiny and awake and professional just Mm -hmm. all the time um she's often seen wearing brightly colored suits with matching jewelry you know like newscasters like to wear jewelry and the ears around the neck a good brooch and a chunky necklace is all over the news honestly sometimes (laughs) an ascot they're really really specific about their upper body wear and i appreciate it yeah i think it's great <laughs> who are you doing and what does she look like i am doing mileva maric um i hope i'm pronouncing that correct that was what most people pronounced as maric um she was a serbian woman with a round face round features dark hair she had dark kind of downturned eyes and in photos she used she usually has her lips kind of straight and like maybe a little curled up not quite smiling not quite frowning But her head is also usually tilted down and kind of to the side slightly as if she's just being a little bit curious, which she was. 
Her hair, like her famous husband, Albert Einstein's, uh, never seemed to be too neat and orderly. <laughs> um, and, she, and she always kind of looked a little tired. So you said your person's kind of like put together bright sunny. Uh-huh. Maleva was the exact opposite. Wow. Um, and then the other interesting thing about Mileva is that she walked with a limp her whole life because she was born with a hip defect where it was constantly kind of out of socket, mm-hmm. which is interesting. So, yep, she walked with a limp. Wow. <laughs> now, I know this was a request from listener Olga. So from, Olga, she is originally from Russia, but left recently. Oh, okay. I think that I think, I think that's what the message said. Left okay. recently due to issues in oh, the yeah, country. I'd imagine. And Ukraine. <laughs> but yeah, Olga, this is for you. Yeah. I and it's funny too because I I kind of forgot about her because I my recommendation at the end is going to be the book about her. Oh, cool. Um, the other Einstein, which my mom got me for Christmas. Yay! <laughs> years ago. And I read the book, I loved it, and I'm happy to say, like, it was pretty true to fact. <laughs> Good. For historical fiction. Good. So, anyways, thank you, Olga. And I think that we have to get into this cocktail Let's that you made. <laughs> this is called Path Paver. Mm. And so, what you do is you take a citrus wheel, it can be lemon, lime, orange, doesn't matter, and muddle it in the bottom of a cocktail shaker with some simple syrup. Mm-hmm. And then you um, pour some sherry in and shake it on dry and then pour it over ice in okay. a glass. And then on top of that, I had these bourbon soaked peaches. So, I put the bourbon soaked peaches in and then poured a little bit on top. A uh, little bit perfect. of that bourbon. Juice. Well, cheers. cheers. Mm. You can smell the sherry. I love the mm-hmm. smell of sherry on a drink. I love it. Makes me feel special. <laughs> the bourbon peaches we got as like a gift around Christmas from somebody, um, producer and I, and they're really mm. nice. I love it. I think yeah. they're great. And I'm excited at the end to have a bourbon peach to oh, eat. Oh, yeah. <laughs> It's always great when we have a treat in our drink. Uh huh. I always. What was the one thing we had? Oh, we had like cinnamon buns oh, for Princess yes. Leia. That I was, was very great. into that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I liked the French fries for those seven <laughs> sisters. That was a good one. Um, we've had chips. We've had peppermint sticks. Uh, all sorts of things. I should really put like a slice of cheesecake on my cocktail one of these days. Oh, I think yeah. that would be nice. We did a. B- a uh, chocolate cake for let them eat cake Marie Antoinette that's remember right. <laughs> but it was COVID so I had cake and you didn't you were <gasps> in a different house that's true oh, oh my god! think about how weird that is yeah and my cocktail that night was not as good it was like for <laughs> Emma Goldberg and it was like had like red peppers muddled in <laughs> I love that episode I do it's sister just oh. pulled in <laughs> earlier a white tesla pulled in my driveway and this guy knocked on my door <gasps> for like ever and i of no. course like a millennial ignored it yeah. because i just hide when of someone course. knocks on the door that's terrifying could have murdered you i know and i was like calling producer and i was like do you expect a tesla <laughs> <He's> like, <laughs> what someone you gifting t- you a tesla <laughs> do you know somebody with a tesla <laughs> okay that's, that's none so of that happened okay. Okay. <laughs> gwen eiffel what do you know about gwen eiffel i don't know anything i think you said she was a newscaster yeah and that's it. Cool. I, I guess she's modern. Yeah. Is she still alive? No. Oh, okay. But she is modern. Okay. But yeah, I don't know anything about her. Cool. So. Well, <laughs> she's interesting. Her story's kind of short because she just lived a really cool, good, solid life. It's yeah. like one solid string story. So Gwendolyn L. Eiffel, which I love a Gwendolyn instead of a Gwyneth. Not that I don't love Gwyneths, but Gwendolyn's fun. Yeah. I also wonder if people ever called her the Eiffel Tower. I bet. I bet. <laughs> Gwendolyn L. Eiffel was born in Queens, New York on September 29th, 1955. 
She was the fifth of six children. Her dad was an African-American Methodist Episcopalian minister who immigrated to the U.S. from Panama. So I guess he's African-Panamanese or Hmm. Central American. Mm -hmm. Um, His ministry required their family to live in several cities in New England and up and down the eastern seaboard during her life. So they lived in different, like, parsonage houses or federally like funded houses for church members in Pennsylvania and Massachusetts and Buffalo. So she's really spending a lot of her time in the Mid-Atlantic and the Northeast. Mm -hmm. Gwen's interest in journalism is strongly rooted in the fact that her parents insisted every night that the two parents and all six children gathered in front of the TV to watch the national news. So they did it every night as a family. She graduated from Springfield Central High in Massachusetts in 1973. She's like almost exactly our parents' age. (laughs) And then went on to a women's college in Boston called Simmons College where she got her BA in communications. And every good college student knows communications is either, if you want to be a newscaster, or a football player. <laughs> Those are the only two reasons to be a communication major. Right? I uh, yeah. yeah. I, I didn't know any personally, but I know that a lot of them were in my geography class. Oh yeah. It was like my geography class because it's like one of the big gen eds. Yes, you, you know? have to take a geography class. Yep. It was me and a bunch of like phys ed phys ed majors uh-huh. and then a bunch of communication majors. And then my friend Harry, who was a geography major, and I said, <laughs> Harry, is this there. miserable for you? <laughs> and he said, yes. But we also, our professor was like this very old man who literally would bring in slides of his trips and have us watch the slides. Perfect. I love that. Ideal. Yeah. I loved him. And he just like passed everybody. <laughs> <laughs> Look at my slides. It's like he was bringing Facebook to class, but Facebook exactly. for back in the day. Yeah, that's great. <laughs> So while uh, Gwen was at Simmons College, she interned at the Boston Herald. So she's like really serious in college and really good at what she does. But one day she's interning and she goes to sit down at her desk and there's a note on her desk that says N-word go home. (gasps) No. Yeah. So she takes the note bravely to her editor at the newspaper who is rightfully horrified. Like, I can't believe that happened. Um, This is in the 70s. And they, after she graduated, offered her a job in 1977. And her friends say she always felt a little bit guilty. Like, she got the job because they were trying to, like, make up for the fact that someone had said that to her and prove that, um, prove that she you know, we're not a racist organization, but her friend was like, that's not why she got the job. She got the job because that happened and she was able to like work around it and move past it as like a solid adult. Yeah. Yeah. I hate that that kind of shit makes people feel that way. Right. You know, because that's the cause that like bullshit like that, you know, uh, uh, causes, you know, whatever. Mm -hmm. It's like, it's not just, oh, it was hurtful in the moment. It's like, that kind of shit sticks in your mind yeah, forever. Right. And it makes you feel like a fucking imposter. Right. You're like, the, the only reason I'm successful yeah. is because I got this job because somebody was racist to me. Oh and that's just God. not true. Yeah. Mm. So Gwen, after working at the Boston Herald for a while, got a job at the one and only Baltimore Sun, <gasps> bitches. <What? laughs> oh, my gosh. Best newspaper in the country. 
<laughs> the Baltimore Sun. Oh, that's amazing. I know. She worked there in the early 1980s and then also ended up with a job at the Washington Post in the late 80s and early 90s. She eventually ends up leaving the Washington Post, though, because she was told that she wasn't ready to cover Capitol Hill. And I can tell you right now that in the early 90s, the reason that this is is because she's a woman of color. I didn't see that specifically, but there is not, especially in the 90s, was not a lot of representation on the television of black women Mm -hmm. specifically covering political stories yeah because also there's not a lot of black women in politics at that time yeah Mm -hmm. so there's not a lot of representation in general in the political sphere but the new york times did want to pick her up for politics so the new york times picks her up to cover the white house and she did so for all of the early 90s so now if we're counting she has worked at a major newspaper in boston new york baltimore and Washington, D.C. Oh so really, she's only missing Philly. So like, yeah. Philly, buck up. And you should have hired this woman. But at this point in her career, still early on as a uh, news newspaper reporter, she um, is really a blueprint for her peers. Everybody only has great things to say about her. Her colleagues said that there's different types of peers. There are some that watch to see if you're going to become successful and then other people that cheer you on so that you become successful. And they say that she was just the most elegant and best type of cheerleader to her colleagues. I know. That's so sweet. Her first job in television was with NBC, where she was the network's Capitol Hill reporter. So by 1990 time, she became um, the moderator of the PBS program Washington Week in Review. That made her the first ever black woman to host a national political talk show on television. Which, if you're still wondering, obviously, people weren't always 100% comfortable with black women covering politics. Mm -hmm. And that's going to come up a couple times in her story. But she always said that she loved the fact that she was making young black girls feel seen in Mm -hmm. the political sphere and hoped that her representation in anchoring these news stories would help people to realize it was possible for them to go into politics. To increase this, she started a news literacy program uh, with teachers of middle and high schoolers so that they could help students become media literate. So as a senior correspondent for PBS NewsHour, Gwen appears on so many talk shows. She ends up on Meet the Press, Face the Nation, Inside Washington. She gets to co-host Jamestown Live, which is the broadcast of the 400th anniversary of Jamestown. Ah. So like they're pulling her into all the important East Coast stuff. Yeah. But in October 2004, this is when Gwen really hits the national stage. She ends up moderating the vice presidential debate between Dick Cheney and John Edwards. (laughs) That made her the first ever African-American woman to moderate a vice presidential debate, which is a really hard job. Mm -hmm. You have to cut these men off. You have to ask in-depth questions. You have to be fair to both candidates. Um, And she also ends up moderating the vice presidential debate between Joe Biden and Sarah Palin. So alum, we've got an alum here, (laughs) Sarah. But before this debate, 
Gwen's objectivity was again called into question by the radio, by blogs, by cable news, um, and some independent media because she's a black woman and Joe Biden was running with Barack Obama. Because of it's course. Like, okay, like <laughs> if it was a white woman, they wouldn't right. be like, Sarah Palin. Sarah Palin's a white woman. Do we really think that she can be like unbiased? Right. So it's like <laughs> black people can't report about black people, which is crazy. She also <laughs> like there's already not that many of us. I know. Like, what do you want to do? <laughs> now, some people cite the fact that she was at this time writing a book called The Breakthrough. And the book, The Breakthrough, was set to come out on Election Day. And it is about race and politics. And it says, like, in the subtitle, In the Age of Obama. But the book is not about Obama. It's about up-and-coming black mm-hmm. politicians. And everybody was like, well, wouldn't she stand to make more money if Obama wins the election? like blah 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 but of course remember normal politicians wonderful john mccain god rest his soul i don't agree with everything he did but he was just a normal (laughs) ass republican (laughs) he said i think she's going to do a totally objective job because she's a highly respected professional thank you john mccain thank you john mccain thank you like to come out and just be like everybody shut up yeah like we're gonna we're gonna stop saying this black woman can't do this job yeah like Love get, that get he over said yourselves. that. Love yeah. that he defend, and also love his SNL appearances. Yes. <laughs> um, but yeah, yeah, that's so great. Of, I just I, I, miss, I miss people like that. I yeah. know. I, just, <laughs> I miss when that would happen. I never in my life thought I would be like I miss the Bushes and the McCain yeah. and the Dick Cheneys. <laughs> but here I am. Here I am. Ooh. Um. Yeah, and Gwen herself said nobody would ever assume a white reporter couldn't cover a white exactly. candidate yep. just because there's so many in the pool. Um, P.S. The book became a New York Times bestseller, of course. <laughs> uh, and it's great because it it really cataloged an important moment in history, which we, at the time, were all hoping was a swing towards racial equality in the mm-hmm. United States. But um, Trump put a big kibosh on that. Mm-hmm. So we're still working on it. <laughs> After the debate, the Boston Globe reported that she received high marks for equal treatment of both candidates. And she then gained pop culture recognition because Saturday Night Live <laughs> did the debates and Queen Latifah portrayed. No. Oh, my gosh. That's yeah. so funny. I just mentioned that. <laughs> I know. So still the head of PBS is receiving letters of complaints about her bias news, oh which they readily dismiss. I'm like, leave alone. Well, that's good. Yeah. In 2009, she ends up on Who Wants to Be a Millionaire. They did this whole season where the contest, the contestants, you know how they can phone a friend? Mm-hmm. Well, they did like celebrity phone a friends that they would have a panel there. She only ever got phoned one time <laughs> and she got asked a question um, about like which one of these quotes is the correct quotation from uh, Shakespeare, and she decodes the quote. She knew the answer to mm-hmm. the Shakespeare quote. Oh, so great. good for her. Which for I like that she got it right. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, I was like, oh, you only get asked one question. Oh God. Yeah. What a great show. You remember the chokehold that that show had on America I when it came out? Loved it. I loved it so much. I loved it. Mm. I loved the drama of it. I loved the Regis of it. Just everything i love that he wore a tie and a shirt and a suit jacket that were Mm. all the same color in different fabric and it just really fascinated me what a crazy man i know i I know sometimes i forget he's dead i 
I know, and I get really sad. I love that scandal when the person was cheating because, like, his wife was in the crowd, like, mm -hmm. coughing the right answer. Yeah. <laughs> Crazy. I mean, that was back in the, like, before streaming days. That, like, hit right. before streaming, which is why it was such a big deal. Yeah. Especially, yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Love it, love it, love it, love it. Okay. Um... So in 2011, she got to present at the Emmy Awards, and then she soon became the co-anchor of NewsHour with Judy Woodruff, which the two of them became the first two women mm. to, like, co-anchor a national news program like that. And then they became the first two women to moderate a presidential debate between Hillary Clinton and Bernie Sanders. So here we go with another uh, alumni of the show, <laughs> Hillary Clinton. She has gotten so many awards throughout her life. Um, she got the Women in Film and Video Women Vision Award, the First Amendment Award, the Career World Award for Excellence in Journalism, Washington, D.C.'s Journalist Hall of Fame, Lifetime Achievement Award, Outstanding News Award, Honorary Doctorates <laughs> from Georgetown, oh Smith, gosh. Bates, and so many, many others. And she delivered commencement addresses and whatnot. Gwen never married in her life and didn't have children, so there's not really a lot about her personal life out there. But then in the early 2000s, Gwen got diagnosed with breast cancer, <sighs> and it's endometrial breast cancer, so it was really far along, and she's only 61 years mm. old. Um, she spent the, la the last couple days, weeks of her life um, in hospice in Washington, D.C., surrounded by her family and friends, but passed away in November of 2016. So I think oh that's like God. right when Trump got elected. So I think that's oh like my God. tragic. And it's also like because like you're going through a story. I'm like, I don't understand how what is how she's going to die. Yeah. Like it's just like a real real quick breast cancer oh that took God. her out. When she passed, PBS devoted an hour tribute to her, which I watched. <laughs> this um, developed into a series of tributes that news hours were doing across the country called Remembering Gwen. Um, President Obama made a statement that saying that um, he and Michelle, another alum, <laughs> off offered condolences to her friends and family. And he said, I appreciated her even when I was on the tough end of one of her interviews. Oh. In 2017, the Committee to Protect Journalists renamed the Burton Benjamin Memorial Award as the Gwen Eiffel Press Freedom Award. Her alma mater named a school in her honor. She has a U.S. postage stamp. The railroad train, the I'm guessing the Long Island Railroad or the subway stop in Queens is named after her. And for all the times that she was accused of bias, she had one thing to say. The real bias in news is the news that we don't cover. The stories we don't see if people are deciding what goes on the news and at what time. And that is the oh all too gosh. short story of Gwen Eiffel. Short. Oh my God. I, I can't know. believe that. Yeah, it's just she had a great family who really supported her and she wrote a great book and she did a great job and everybody mm -hmm. saw how good she was and kept promoting her. Yeah. And it's like that's how it's supposed to happen. Yeah. And then it, I mean it sucks, obviously, like cancer's a bitch. Mm -hmm. Um, and it comes for all of us eventually. Yeah. I <laughs> I saw this post this week that kind of made me mad because it was like some people want new cars some people want 
new houses. Some people with have cancer, though, and they just want to be cured. I'm like, I don't think that anyone with cancer, <laughs> I'm not, I don't want to speak for everybody, but like, it's going to be like, oh, you want a, you want a car? You want to be miserable with me, please? Yeah, it's like, <laughs> come on. It's like, come yes, on. of course they want to be cured, but it's like, also like, Stop demonizing everybody. Like, I fucking hate that yeah. shit, you know? Yeah. It's, <laughs> so, okay, I, I was going to promo this one week, but there, I used to, when I was on maternity leave, I used to watch a lot of Keeping Up with the Kardashians. <laughs> <laughs> and there is this one, <laughs> there's this one episode right after Kim is married to Chris Humphreys. <sighs> and she, he, like, pushes her in the water. The whole family is on this big beach vacation. And she comes up and realizes her diamond earring is gone. And starts bawling and having this panic attack. I have to show it to you. And she's going, my diamond earring is gone. It's gone. And Courtney comes out of her room holding her baby and goes, Kim, people are dying. <laughs> oh, my God. And I just... It is the best moment I've ever seen. I make I've never seen an it. episode of that show. Oh, I've never seen an episode. Man. What a great show. But you know what I'd say to that cancer thing? Yeah. <laughs> Katie, people are dying. Yeah. <laughs> Not to make light of Gwen Eiffel's yeah. death. I'm very sad about it. It's tragic. Oh my God. You don't All get right. a new house or a car. Okay. Yeah. We're going to okay. go make new cocktails and go from there. took the girls to the dentist and um I was trying to be like affirmative with him and like let him know I'm a good person and I was like <laughs> I was like I took the girls to the orthodontist because he had like suggested some orthodontists um and then he goes oh that's awesome which one and I was like I have no idea <laughs> I was like and then of course I vomit up the mouth I was like I probably couldn't tell you your name sir <laughs> Okay. <laughs> Such an idiot. <laughs> Why? That's something that like you're like this could either be the most charming thing I've ever said or the worst thing I've ever said. <laughs> All I know is when he left the room he goes, "Well, <laughs> I love that you said that. It's gonna- gonna live in my head rent free for <laughs> good i mean listen i i'm like so bright red right now i'm so embarrassed by it i love it but i don't know my dentist's name i see him once every six months i'm sorry i'm in between dentists i spent more t- i spend more time with the dental hygienist her name's carol <laughs> yeah i know yeah, her name there you go we talk i remember my childhood dentist dr vera Pattis, but oh. that's because he has a very interesting name to right. me because it sounds like a dinosaur okay all right, but enough about dentistry. Time for this beautiful drink. <laughs> Thank you. Uh. So this drink is called The Shell, mm. and it is an ounce and a half of bourbon, an ounce of condensed milk, an ounce of coconut rum, half an ounce of coffee liqueur, and vanilla extract. Cheers. Cheers. Sounds Cheers. so good. Mmm. Really good. Pretty good. Oh, mm-hmm. and I rimmed the glass with coconut, but just the like shaved a coconut's portion great. Of it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm. I love that. Mm. Yeah, I really that like it. It's good. It definitely tastes like a little bit mudslidey, but more vanilla than that. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. I kind of want it because, like, obviously she is from Serbia, mm-hmm. Serbia, kind of like this Slavic kind of region. So I was like, I kind of want to make it like a white Russian, but like 
different. Right. You know, it's really, and a white Russian is my favorite cocktail. Mm-hmm. So good. All right. So what do you know about Einstein's first wife, Mileva Maric? So, well, behind the scenes, I thought we were <laughs> doing someone else tonight. So I was really ready to sing a lot, but here we are mm-hmm. not singing. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to let anybody know. It's going to be a little secret <laughs> for the future, but we changed it up because of this request. Mm-hmm. Which I am sorry for, like, I'm sure other people are like, I requested someone two years ago. It's true. We have a, we have a long, long list of requests, but. Yes. But this one, I was just like, oh, yeah, I can, like, I, I literally got it, like, while we're kind of, like, making the list. Mm-hmm. So I put it on. So I do apologize to other yeah, people. Yeah, we really we are requests. We, we do have it all written down on some document yes. somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> Our Google Docs is starting to look oh like, a, like a crazy like a file cabinet that somebody yeah. hasn't sorted. You know what mm-hmm, I'm saying? Mm-hmm, yeah. That mm-hmm. doesn't, it's not in a fireproof it's probably container. like presidential confidential files in there. And we don't even know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're on the FBI. We're about to get raided. FBI list. <laughs> um, okay. So I know that she was married to Albert Einstein. Um, you know, I know where they're from. I know the basic gist of the fact that everybody's like, oh, you're no Einstein. Right. Like, her husband <laughs> is very, like, very smart. Super duper smart. I know about when they were alive. And I know that I feel like she ha- had kind of an interesting story going on. I don't know exactly what it is, but I know that something quirky was going on in her life that made her stand out from Albert Einstein, who I think might have been a dick. A little bit, yeah. Okay, We're so I didn't know. <laughs> I, I feel like I remember somebody telling me he's a dick. Yeah. Okay. Okay. That's it. So um, there is not a lot on her, which is unfortunate. Um, so I got most of this actually from two really great articles. One is The Forgotten Life of Einstein's First Wife by Pauline Gagnon. Um, and then another one was an article in the New York Times by um, Denisha Smith. Um, the name of the article gives away a little too much, so I'm not going to say it. Uh-oh. Um, and then Wikipedia. So those are my three main sources. And that was like kind of it okay. for her. And the fiction you read. <laughs> and the fiction, the other Einstein. Yes. Which I will promote at the end because it's such a good book. Okay. Mileva Maric was born on December 19th, 1875 in Titel, Serbia. She was the eldest of three children. Her parents, Marisha Rusik and Milos Maric, were wealthy and respected members of their Serbian community, and they had two other children, Zorka and Milos Jr. From an early age, her parents knew that she was going to be different, and not just because she walked on the limp, like we, like we said. No, her parents realized that she was extremely intelligent, so they invested early on in her education. In 1890, when she was 15, she attended the Royal Serbian Grammar School in Shabak. Then in 1891, her father obtained special permission from the, like, uh, what do you call it? The Minister of Education for her to enroll as a private student in the all-male Royal Classical High School in Zagreb. Okay, so she's, like, good enough that her dad is, like, putting it up for her. Her dad is such a champion of hers. He is at every step, like... No, no, you're going to let her in because she is, deserves it and she's really fucking smart. She's smarter than all these other boys. That's such a theme of our show. I know. It's crazy. Supportive dads. I love good dads. Um, oh, and then he had to petition the Minister of Education again in 1892 because they were having these physics lectures and she wasn't allowed in because she was a girl. So he goes, um, get him on the horn again. She's going to get in these lectures. <laughs> on the non-existent horn. <laughs> on the non-existent <laughs> It's like, I don't know why the television was like that. Ahoy, hoy. It was the 1800s. It was definitely the 1800s. It is one of my favorite phrases. Get him on the horn. (laughs) I say it all the time. My favorite is... Go ahead. Sorry. No, and then it it popped up in a TV show. And I was like, 
fuck I love that phrase so much Casey's like I know (laughs) I love the best thing on this side of the Mississippi (laughs) because I think it's crazy because the Mississippi is not in the center of the country (laughs) at all so it's like it's not area based or population based like there's no not one bit and and it could be about anything yeah and also this side of the Mississippi who even knows what side we're talking about exactly I love it it could be anywhere it's crazy (laughs) (laughs) you could be in Hawaii and be like this is the best poi this side of the Mississippi (laughs) (laughs) so I love it it's nonsensical god all right guys you gotta start peppering these phrases into everyday life (laughs) please um in 1984, she graduated high school at the top of her class, getting excellent grades, particularly in math and physics. But after that year, she fell ill, and they moved her to Switzerland for her health, and she started attending another all-girls school there. In Switzerland, she just falls in love with. She just loves this place. She loves the mountains. She loves the area. She just feels really at home here. Looks lovely. Yeah. In pictures. And once she passed her Matura exam, which I don't know what that is, mm-hmm. um, she started attending the University of Zurich. Um, she was pursuing a medical degree there for about a year. But then in the fall of 1896, she switched to Zurich Polytechnic once she passed her math entrance exams. Hmm. Which I also want to say the other day, something someone was like, "Oh, they went to a, a polytechnic," and I was like, "Casey, your alma mater." And he goes, "Katie, polytechnic is like a, a thing. general term for like <laughs> that type of school. Not every polytechnic is referring to Baltimore Polytechnic Institute." Uh, I thought it was when I was little too. Like poly, <laughs> yeah, poly, be, yeah, poly, mm-hmm. yeah. But no, no. So this um, one's in Zurich. Unfortunately, <laughs> I'm sure it's that's same. a vocabulary word that we <laughs> yeah. know. Uh, she enrolled for, um, she enrolled in the diploma course to teach physics and mathematics in secondary schools. She was the fifth woman ever to enter that course of study. And out of the six people in that particular class, she was the only woman (laughs) that just shows how fucking talented and intelligent she was. And it was here in this tiny class that she met a fellow genius, a young student by the name of Albert Einstein. How was his hair? Not too crazy early Good. on. Let Good. me tell you, like his case, he was like, who would ever be in love with Albert Einstein? I'm like, young pictures of him. Like I could see him being very charismatic and like very um, attractive. Like I could see and him. Smart. Kind of, I mean, yeah. when you're working so hard to be in school like that, mm-hmm. like intelligence is important. Yeah. And he's obviously very, very intelligent. And I think, and like he had a lot more, again, like charisma and personality than I think the other people around her. Well, you can tell by this so, tongue sticking out mm-hmm. picture. He is, I mean, like a, a light and she is the fly, the moth coming right. and being around him. Um, <laughs> Mileva was always described as quiet, but brilliant. And Albert was brilliant, but not so quiet or focused or generally just existing in class at all. Albert Einstein was one of those kids that was so smart that he just felt bored everywhere. So he would often just skip class because he was like, read the chapter, note questions, don't need that bozo to teach me. (laughs) The most common phrase used to describe him was head in the clouds. He was literally the sloppy antithesis to Mileva's extreme organization, the Ron to her Hermione, you might say. That's the that's the problem with being a woman in that field. You have to be fucking put together or nobody takes you serious. Exactly. If Mileva acted like Albert, 
She wouldn't have gotten fucking anywhere. No, they wouldn't have let her. No, they absolutely would not have let her, let her in. But the two soon became inseparable. They studied together all the time. They'd go hang out. They'd talk physics and theories. And they would just rap together because they just, like, spoke the same language, you know? And I think that Mileva was always tr- kind of trying to connect with people who thought like her because there, <laughs> frankly, weren't that many. If Einstein, like, my love language is E yeah. equals MC squared. <laughs> Not yet, but he will. Hers um, is like mine is. <laughs> And she would help him organize his papers. She'd have him turn his homework in on time. She'd give him her notes from the lecture. She helped channel his energy so he was more productive. She's being his mom. Exactly. So I just want to make it clear that, like, I'm just going to boldly say it. Albert Einstein would not have gotten through college if it weren't for Mileva Maric. I just want to make that clear. (laughs) Exactly. He would even acknowledge that she was, like, better at math than he was if they were at a party and, like, doing calculations, because I guess that was a fun thing to do back then at a party. <laughs> he would call her over and be like, Maleva, you solved this. <laughs> and this went on for forever. I mean, years later at a family party, like, there was a math problem. And he goes, I need my wife. She solves for me all of my mathematical problems. Aww. <laughs> She got to spend kind of a winter semester away at Heidelberg University auditing classes in physics while Albert went off to Milan for his extra study. So these were kind of like their semesters abroad. They wrote to each other constantly, and Albert would say things like, when I read Hemholtz for the first time, it seemed so odd that you were not at my side. And today, this is not getting better. I find the work we do together very good at healing and also easier. And in another letter, he wrote... The climate here does not suit me at all. And while I miss work, I find myself filled with dark thoughts. In other words, I miss having you nearby to kindly keep me in check and prevent me from meandering. <laughs> so he's like, wow, I cannot function without you. <laughs> <laughs> he's got a little bit of ADHD, maybe. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then they returned to Zurich and took classes in differential and integral calculus, descriptive and projective geometry, mechanics, theoretical physics, applied physics, experimental physics, astronomy, very things that I don't know anything about. Uh-huh. That's when you type um, a dot, dot, dot in your notes. Yep. <laughs> uh, and again, her and Albert were just always at each other's sides. Mileva lived in a women's only boarding house and she met her two best friends here, Helene Koffler-Savich and Milena Bota. Both spoke of Albert's continuous presence at Mileva's place, where he would come freely to book, borrow books even in Mileva's absence. <laughs> she, again, got really good grades all throughout. She had an average of 5.5 out of 6, which is really fucking good. And she even got her intermediate diploma a year earlier than the other students in her class. At the end of their degree program in 1900, Mileva posted higher grades than Albert Einstein. While Einstein received a one in applied physics, she scored a five, which was the highest possible grade. Shit. But during the oral exams, she fell short. The men in the class all got 11 out of 12, and Mileva got a five out of 12. Well, why? That seems like there's some bias Uh, going on. So here's the thing. This meant that she would not be getting her degree. And this part is devastating because... Did she get distracted due to her romance with Albert? Was she just really bad at oral exams? Or 
did the professor discriminate against her? I mean, the oral exam doesn't exactly have a solid paper trail, I'm guessing. Right. You know? It's not like they were recording shit in 1900. Exactly. Either way, she was devastated. This is what everything was leading to, and she failed for the first time ever. And this was not the only thing that was getting Mileva down. It seemed that although Albert was head over heels for her, his parents were not, particularly his mother. She was like, she's not Jewish, she has a limp, and she's not attractive. In one harsh letter she wrote to her son, she said, by the time you're 30, she'll already be an old hag. She was like, do not marry this girl. She has no family name to speak of. Like, she was very against and just, like, open about the letters. And, like, Albert would share them with her and be like, isn't my mom being so crazy? And she was like, I really don't want to hear this right now. Like, I just failed my exams. I'm having a bad time. Please let's not talk about your mother who fucking hates me. A a mother-in-law like that must be torturous. I could not imagine. I can't imagine. His father uh, probably wasn't also thrilled about Mileva, but he took the tone of, look, if you're going to marry her, like, whatever, but don't get married until you have a job. He was like, I'm not going to give you my blessing to marry anyone unless you are fully employed. That's kind of solid advice. Yeah. So after graduation, Albert started looking for a job. The same guy that failed Mileva specifically like didn't offer Albert a job when he offered like every other person in that class a job. So he just doesn't like them. I think he just doesn't like them. I honestly think that. Um, He's a jelly belly. That's what he is. He's a sad sack of man. (laughs) And Maleva went back to her studies. She was like, I'm going to come back after this setback. I'm going to get my degree no matter how fucking long it takes. Meanwhile, the two young lovers are still having long discussions on mathematical shit. They're doing research together. They're talking theorems. In September 1900, Albert wrote to Mileva, I look forward to resume our new common work. You must now continue with your research. How proud I will be to have a doctor for my spouse when I'll only be an ordinary man. In December 1900, they published their first paper together on capillary. So that's like surface, surface tension shit, you know something about that i don't know um but of course this wasn't officially together mileva thought that in order to bolster albert's career and give him the best shot at getting a job the paper should be all just under his name which i i it sucks as i i understand her reasoning because also in her mind at this point she goes well i'll have my degree again soon i'll have my degree soon too so like you know, once I get my degree and once he has a name for himself, then I can start putting myself on the papers. But like, you know, right now it's more important that we work on his career. And we've covered a couple people who have done that successfully. Like there mm-hmm. are people, uh, couples who have done that, that we've covered where it was like, yes, we did that. And we shared the money because we made more money. The Fitzgeralds did that. Yep. F. Scott um, and Zelda. Now also their relationship was tumultuous, but they did share the money. Yeah. Yeah. And, and like, the frustrating thing is we know that they did this work together. Oh, Mary Shelley and Percy. Yes. yes. Also mm-hmm. did this. Mm-hmm. Because he himself referred to these papers as our work. In March 1901, he wrote to her, How happy and proud I will be when the two of us together will have brought our work on relative motion to a victorious conclusion. It's always ours and us and we. The two were happy and content and 
as soon as Albert had a job and as soon as she had her degree, they could get married and go down in science history together. That was always the plan. But then in 1901, I looked her up, by the way. She's not that ugly. She's not. Her mother-in-law's being crazy. She's being, and also like, <laughs> it's really frustrating because like anything you listen or read, they're like, yeah, she's a really homely woman. I'm like, I do not think that she is. No, she's not even like Eleanor really Roosevelt homely. She's yeah. like a normal homely. I know. <laughs> Calm down. Um, just a normal homie. Um, <laughs> I wouldn't call her willowy. <laughs> I wouldn't say. Um, but then in 1901, they decided to go on a trip together to Lake Como, Italy. And things changed very dramatically for Mileva. Because she came home from that trip pregnant. Ooh. With a baby Einstein. Pun intended. Little Einsteins? <laughs> Is that Little what it's called? Einsteins, the, the show. Uh, Come I thought it was called. <laughs> get ready to explore. Yeah. I thought it was called Baby Einsteins. Oh, all the moms out there. I but no, Baby have... Einsteins, I think, is like a brand name. I think oh, that is okay. a thing. But there's a show called Little Einsteins. That's what I was thinking of. Mm. Maybe Baby Einstein is like, you remember, I feel like there used to be commercials for like this like kit of like cassette tapes and CDs you could like play. <laughs> be like, sure. let your baby listen to Mozart, Baby Einsteins. Yeah. Okay. That's terrible <laughs> listen put the speaker to your womb let your baby listen to some sugar night <laughs> it's the only way they'll be fucking cool <laughs> so anyways back to mileva she has a little einstein in her and of course it was july when she came back and it was time for her exams again so they basically like went away for like spring break and then she was pregnant by the time exams were rolling around and did she have like the worst morning sickness she She knows she's pregnant and of course she failed her exams again this time i don't doubt the results because i'm sure she was freaking the fuck out yeah because they're not married yeah no Okay, this is this is like a, back then that was very very bad. Mm-hmm. Okay, and even pregnant, Albert said, "I don't have a job. I'm not going to marry you. I don't have my father's blessing." Okay, which is kind of irritating. Calm it's down. It's like these are extenuating circumstances, Albert. Yeah, I'm sorry. You don't have to be an Einstein to figure this out. <laughs> you actually, he literally does. <laughs> he literally does. No, she literally so, does. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so she went home to Serbia embarrassed afraid and alone okay so she goes home after doing all these amazing things better at math and physics than einstein yep and goes home to pregnant and alone mm-hmm. to That's a terrible Isn't it fucking devastating i hate this i know she gave birth to a girl named liesel in january 1902 Albert wrote to her that he loves her even though he hasn't met her yet. Calm down. And I don't think he ever did meet her. Ever? No one knows what happened to this baby. (gasps) We know she existed. She maybe was given to adoption. Maybe she died of scarlet fever. But no birth or death certificates were ever found. So this baby is like kind of a mystery. MIA. Yeah. Whoa. So... In June 1902, Albert got his infamous job at the patent office, and his father finally gave him permission to marry Mileva. (laughs) Oh, I'm sorry. I just got rid of my baby. (laughs) And the two wed January 6th, 1903. 
Wow, insurrection. I know. <laughs> <laughs> I hate that people have ruined that date. <laughs> Maybe that's why Thank you slipped. God, it's not said, my birthday. <laughs> that's why you slipped and said 1984 earlier. It's, yep. it's, it's Orwellian. Yep. <laughs> I had an Orwellian <laughs> slip. <laughs> All right. Life went on. Albert worked eight hours a day, six days a week at the patent office while Mileva assumed all the domestic tasks. But their passion for math and physics only strengthened, and the two would stay up late into the night together, working by candlelight on new and radical ideas that would shake the literal time-space continuum. Yes, baby. I guess. (laughs) I I wrote that line, and I was like, that sounds pretty good. And I was like, I think... That that's what he was doing because someone was describing it and they're like well he came up with the thing that like if he's traveling at the speed of light and he looks back at a clock what time would it say i'm like i don't fucking know also, i'm not like, a knight <laughs> just to keep saying that throughout the whole i'm, I'm not i know it. i know maleva marriage <laughs> um i find it so ironic that they're up like doing this by candlelight that is that the catalyst yeah <laughs> is this the catalyst by literal kerosene lamp <laughs> is this why you got so fucking frustrated yep your eyes were going bad yep and you stole ideas from tesla or whatever you did <laughs> mileva's brother milos jr a person known for his integrity. The article has to say that because people still don't believe in Maleva's contribution. Oh my <laughs> god! Like, <laughs> just to give me an idea of where the story is going. That's what people say when they talk about me and Jake, and they say that I did stuff. They'll be like, <laughs> "Ellie's husband, known for his integrity, known for his integrity." <laughs> He stayed with them on several occasions, and um, he once spoke about them saying, During the evenings and at night, when silence fell upon the town, the young married couple would sit together at the table at the light of a kerosene lantern, and they would work together on physics problems. Sure. They calculated, wrote, read, and debated. Physics and chill, baby. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Kerosene and chill. I love that. I also... um, God, kerosene is such a weird big part of my life. Oh my God. Yeah, that kerosene. Isn't that weird? We're okay. Katie and I didn't have heat <laughs> growing up. I want to make this very clear. <laughs> my family congregated around the oven. My Ooh. mom baked all the time in the winter. So you know how my dining room and yeah. like kitchen is like the whole kind of mm. the way that your living room is, the mm. big like a gathering space we would leave the oven on and open the door oh my god and just sit around the I oven. That, that's worse than the kerosene heater yo it is that that's seems crazy. really poor <laughs> that's like bible goes west style yeah. <laughs> bible goes to overly um <laughs> i um yeah we had a kerosene heater that's very illegal and i loved it because it had this big cage around it and i would throw popcorn kernels oh, yeah. onto it and pop, pop popcorn mm-hmm. Anyways, I love to warm my butt. I by didn't that live in a shanty here. town. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I promise. I sound like a hobo. Baltimore. You remember making popcorn on the old kerosene heater? <laughs> all right, I was just warming myself by the oven, Katie. We're all fine. We're all fine. Us and the Einsteins. <laughs> I don't know if wow. we're fine. Our houses are still very cold. <laughs> we should be past this. Okay. <laughs> On May 14th, 1904, their son Hans was born. Hmm. And even though, uh, e- sorry, even though, even through uh-huh. having a newborn baby, the, they kept working. Okay. They traveled to Serbia three times to visit family. And they said the same thing every time. They go, yeah, Einsteins were here. They came, they visited, they worked. 
They worked in their room. They worked in the garden, just working constantly on God knows what to everyone around them. Like, they just, like, literally can't talk to anybody about this because everybody's like, okay, you're doing what and looking at a clock? Where? What, mass? What? Energy what equals what? What are you talking what? about? I don't, the speed of what? And Einstein's like, look, if I was on the moon, they're <laughs> like, I don't know what's going on. Um, Einstein's like, thunder and lightning are the same thing. <laughs> and then once at the end of a visit with her family in 1905, which 1905 would later become known as Einstein's miracle year, Maleva told her father, before our departure, we finished an important scientific work, which will make my husband known around the world. Even just that sentence I hate. We finished an important work that will make him known around the world. I feel like that's just so normal, though. Like, it is normal. Just, for, like, yeah. What she would have thought. I mean, you know, at this point, put in perspective, like Queen Victoria is the queen of England. Mm-hmm. And, like, she literally believed that no other women should have rights Mm -hmm. because she was just like, oh, God gave me the right to do this because I'm royal blood. different. I'm different. (laughs) The other women, which is, I mean, it's just common to think that. Like, oh, my husband's going to be famous and I'm going to help him. Yep. Exactly. That's why prenuptial agreements are literally a thing. Yeah. Yeah, I helped him pay me back for that help, Mm. which she does not get, I assume. (laughs) In 19... So... In 1905, his miracle year, he published five articles. Okay. One on the photoelectrical effect. That's the one that led him to get the Nobel Prize. Two on Brownian motion, which just sounds like what you do in the morning after a coffee. Am I right? <laughs> God, Katie. It's not that kind of podcast. I, love, I don't know why I did that. I love that joke. And I didn't even write it down. I just, I just came with it in the moment. <laughs> Low-hanging fruit, one might say. <laughs> One on special relativity, and then the final one on the very famous E equals MC squared, energy equals mass times the speed of light squared. And let me tell you, I came up with the brown joke all on my own. Uh I racked my brain this week to try and come up with a clever cocktail name based off of E equals MC squared and I could not do it. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I couldn't do it. I I can't do it on the spot so don't ask me for that. E equals maraschino squared. I feel like that's not good though. No. No. Mm -mm. Nothing is good. Um, (laughs) Nothing ever. (laughs) Not one thing we've done in the past five years. He was 26. Which also makes you feel terrible. Wasn't. He was not 26. 26. Oh my god. Worldwide fame would come a little later, but he was finally making a name for himself in the scientific world. So they kept working on other things. In 1908, they constructed an ultra-sensitive voltmeter with fellow scientist Conrad Habicht. Although some people credit the invention of this voltmeter to just Conrad and Mileva. Whoa. Mm. So Einstein was not like a part of that. That A lot of people think that he was literally just there to help with the patent. Mm -hmm. Because obviously like at this point, like he is doing like other things. So it makes sense for like, you know, they're like, oh, we're working working on this project. You're lecturing. Like, you know, we're going to do this. And like, we just need you to help with the patent stuff because you know it. I mean, I also want to like track that, like coming up with an equation. It's like, it's always true no matter what. That's yeah. crazy. That's crazy. That means you have to test it versus everything and understand yeah. what all that other stuff is. Yep. Like it, it is true. Every, it's a discovery, not an invention. It's like, yeah, you're right. It's yeah. crazy. Yep. 
I am like blown. I can't yeah. wrap my mind around it. <laughs> I know. So then the fact that they're doing it on the side while he's teaching is like a whole nother. Yeah. So the volt meter, okay. which is a different thing than any of the other. This is like an actual instrument. Okay. So the volt meter is an instrument used for, again, God knows what. Yeah. Who cares? Um, but it was registered under the Einstein Havoc patent. Mm-hmm. And when Havoc questioned Mileva's choice not to include her name, she replied making a pun. And German, which I'm going to try and read in German. Wild. Photo. Aunt Needs, how'd we do? <laughs> Aunt Needs, this is your time to shine. <laughs> Let's see if you get it on the first try. <laughs> Let us know. Warum wir sind nur Einstein? Why? The two of us are but one stone. Basically saying like, hey, we're a married couple. We're here in this together. His success is my success. Like, it's not different, you know? And, yeah. like, I really, I truly believe that she believed this. Like, she's like, no, no, no. Like, we're a team. Like, she thought of them as a team. And she and was I like. I think that's beautiful. I think it's beautiful, too. I think she was in love. I think she's in love. And I also, I don't think that she wanted to be Einstein. I don't think she wanted to be running around the world and giving lectures and being the poster child for science. I don't think she ever wanted that, Mm. but I do think that like, obviously when everything falls apart, like I think she's bitter that she didn't get recognition. She's Mm -hmm. like, but I was there. I did do this work. I did do this, you know, Um, (laughs) we are also in 1908, Albert started giving unpaid lectures in Bern and then was offered his first academic position in Zurich in 1909. Mileva was still assisting him, doing all, being the Hermione to his Ron. I mean, eight pages of his first lecture notes are in her handwriting. She was writing his lectures for him. He's like dictating and she's like mm-hmm. writing it down while he says it? No, I think she's just writing it for and him. He's and he's reading it. Yeah, and he's reading it. Oh, like, so it's a John Adams and, and <laughs> Abigail situation. Yeah. Like, I, yeah. like, that's the thing. Like, people are like, no, I don't think he's like telling it to her and being like, can you write this down while I say it? Like, mm-hmm. She's like, here's your speech for tomorrow. Already done it. <laughs> Fine. Um, so there's also um, a letter that she wrote um, in 1910 in, respo- in response to this guy, Max Planck, who had sought Albert's opinion. And she's like, we're of one stone. I'll just write this for him because I also know about this. You know, it's kind of like in that meeting, in a meeting when like someone like It'd be like if Casey and I were out to dinner and someone turned to Casey and was like, so like, when's the ideal time to test for radon gas? And he goes, I'm not, that's not me. Like, obviously they're in the same field, so it's a little different. But she's like, no, I like, I also know about this. I can write this response. Um, But as his fame grew, she did start to get a little nervous about the one stone situation. In 1909, she confided to her old friend, Helene, she says, he is now regarded as the best of the German-speaking physicist, and they give him a lot of honors. I am very happy for his success because he fully deserves it. I only hope and wish that fame does not have a harmful effect on his humanity. It will. With all this fame, he has little time for his wife. What is there to say? With notoriety, one gets the pearl, the other the shell. That's why you named it the Hoffman. Mm-hmm. She's the shell. She's the shell. I just, I mean, men upgrade when they get success. It's like, it's sad. 
it was really sad and like it's just such a bummer because she like is seeing it happen in slow motion and we have literal letters where he's just like i couldn't keep my head on straight without you mm -hmm. like i don't know what the fuck i'm doing our work our project our research and now all that's out the window right their second son edward was born on august 28th 1910 and then in 1911 they moved to prague where einstein held a teaching position at charles university and as far as we can tell things were going okay throughout these major life changes he was a little distant but like everything was fine he was still writing her love letters but then in 1912 things started to go downhill the love letters were no more they just stopped and she was a little worried you know he would stay in places a little longer than she imagined he was hardly home and then Maleva's left at home just alone wondering when is he gonna come home where's my husband where's my research partner where is my two son's father right. like and you can't do like find my phone exactly and like when he came home seemed you know things seemed to be okay they even did this is amazing a family walking tour trip with marie curie and her two sons oh fun i know Excuse me. can you imagine can i go a, a better time but a, any worse conversation i just want to be no. a puppy dog in the purse yes. <laughs> Puppy dog in the purse. <laughs> One of those women. <laughs> I don't know if I, any of these girls were that kind of lady. No, Marie but... Curie is like, oh my gosh, let me tell you about the cancer I'm developing. Yeah. <laughs> and they're like, let me tell you about my discovery that's going to lead to the atom bomb. bomb. <laughs> and then we're going to ruin the world. <laughs> are ruin these, the world. Just these kidding. Two women. Um, they love God it. damn it. <laughs> but she could tell that things were different. He was different and it was finally happening. He was the pearl and she was the shell. This was because in 1912, the year that the love letters stopped coming, Albert had started an affair with a woman named Elsa Lowenthal, who of course, yes, was his first cousin. Now to be clear, this wasn't his first affair. In 1910, he had an affair with a woman named Marie and while Mileva was pregnant with their second child, he wrote to Marie, I think of you in heartfelt love every spare minute, and I'm so unhappy as only a man can be. He spoke about misguided love and a missed life, all regarding his relationship with Mileva. Excuse me. Oh, and, and Marie. So, like, he's saying, like, oh, my gosh, like, if only my stupid wife wasn't around, like, you know, <laughs> I'm missing my life with you because of this stupid bitch. Like, fucking sucks. I want to murder him right now yeah. for that. That's terrible. And that's all we really know of Marie. Um, but for two years, he held a secret correspondence with Elsa while he took various teaching positions around Europe until he eventually took a job in Berlin in 1914 mm -hmm. to be closer to Elsa. Mm. They moved there as a family, but Mileva hated Berlin and longed for her mountain home of Switzerland, especially because their younger son, Edward was never in super good health. Mm. And I'm also guessing that Albert had made Berlin an even colder and more unwelcoming place. He would write to Elsa saying, that Maleva was an unfriendly, humorless creature. And in another letter he wrote, I treat my wife as an employee whom I cannot fire. I have my own bedroom and I avoid being alone with her. And that became even more clear when he gave her a very specific ultimatum. He said, 
I'll stay with you if you agree to a few conditions that I will read you now from his letter. No, I don't want to hear them. A, you will see to it that my clothes and linen are kept in order, that I am served three regular meals a day in my room. Item B, you will renounce all personal relations with me except when these are required to keep up social appearances. And you will expect no affection from me. You must leave my bedroom or study at once without protesting when I ask you to. What a dick. What a dick. He's basically like, look, if we're going to stay married, you're basically going to be my housekeeper and nothing more. Like, I hate that he wrote out in writing our physical, personal relationship, done. We're not doing that anymore. But I want to keep you around. But I want to keep what? you around because, like, it's convenient because of the kids. And, like, I also would like my shirts to be pressed. No, I don't like that at all. Maleva thought, I guess this is my life now. And then she was like, this isn't working. I hate this town. I hate him. He's ruining my life. The kids are not happy. So she took them, moved to Zurich, and left Albert in Berlin to proudly waltz around town with his cousin mistress so not only was she personally devastated but she was publicly humiliated Humiliated. because everyone at this point knows who he is and knows who his wife is and they're like you're out here canoodling in a in a fucking cafe with your cousin like that's disgusting that's like that you got me looking so crazy in love beyonce like you feel so stupid Mm -hmm. when people like publicly cheat yeah And Maleva, even though she had gone home to this home that she loved, you know, she suffered a really terrible nervous breakdown. Like, she was not doing okay. So they stayed separated with Albert routinely asking Maleva to divorce him because he wanted her to be the one to request the divorce because he said everything would look better that way. And in 1918, he again asked her for a divorce and he said, okay, fine. If you divorce me, If I win the Nobel Prize, I will cede it completely to you. That is the quote. The couple were divorced. Is this in writing? I think so. Okay. I definitely copy and pasted that part from God knows where. Hmm. But but yeah, but I'm guessing it is because he used the word seed. Uh I would not use that. No, yeah. Um, (laughs) So Maleva agreed and the couple were divorced in February 1919 and he married Elsa that summer. When he won the Nobel Prize, he put the money in a trust and gave Maleva control over the interest and left money for their two sons. Maleva objected, saying, you promised me the entire sum, not just the interest. And so she started to kind of fight him on it, telling him basically, look, you wouldn't have even won this Nobel Prize if it wasn't for me. So, like, that's what I'm owed. He responded to her in a letter saying, You made me laugh when you started threatening me with your recollections. Have you ever considered, even just for a second, that nobody would ever pay attention to your says if the man you talked about had not accomplished something important? When something is completely insignificant, there is nothing else to say to this person but to remain modest and silent. This is what I advise you to do. Shit. He's saying, shut your mouth because no one's going to believe you because no you're a woman. You. Yeah. <sighs> and I think this hit her hard. And so she did choose to just remain silent on the issue. But as good girlfriends do, her best friends were not remaining silent. Milena told a newspaper once, 
Well, if you want to know about special relativity, you better talk to Maleva Marich about it since she was directly involved. I imagine her like slurring her words and spilling a martini while calling the newspaper reporters on the phone, even though that's definitely not how it went down. Now she's like, um, women can vote excuse now. Excuse me. Excuse you me. You want to know that special relationship? You better call my best friend. My Hold best on. friend is so I got her number. smart. I got her number on my phone. I'm going to get her on the Hold horn. On. Let me Don't text you her worry. right now. Need not you me. Maleva. Okay. So. <laughs> that's what's going on and Maleva just kind of stayed out of the way and never really bothered with trying to correct the public narrative although she did think that Malena's sorry Malena and Maleva Malena's effort was sweet she said I think it brought her joy to think that she was bringing me joy by trying (laughs) to bring about the truth yeah the only people she discussed this matter with near the end was her family. Mm-hmm. Then after this, things kind of kept going downhill for her. Mileva invested most of the money that she did receive into two large apartment complexes. This backfired tremendously and she lost oh, no. a lot of money. And then their younger son, Edward, started to exhibit signs of schizophrenia. He was 20 years old, which is right about the time that these things start to pop up. And then he was in and out of treatment for years and eventually went to a long-term hospital at the University of Zurich. Oh, no. But years of treatment cost a pretty penny. And Maleva would struggle financially for the rest of her life while Albert enjoyed his fame and fortune and many mistresses. So I also want to make it clear that, like, he was with Elsa and also very much cheating on her the entire time. Right. Want to make that clear. And Elsa, he he married her, right? That was uh-huh. his second wife. Yep. Yeah. That's his cousin. He even said in one letter, the worst is that Edward is there alone without a caring hand in his wretched condition. If only I had known, he would never have come into this world. Oh. Basically saying, like, I just wish he wasn't born because this sucks. Like, wow. Great way to treat people, <laughs> you know, who are struggling. <laughs> yep. So on August 4th, 1948, Mileva suffered a severe stroke and she died at the age of 72. For a long time, she was simply thought of as Einstein's first crippled wife who was like kind of a bitch. Am I right? (laughs) (laughs) But then people started to notice her and thank goodness started to pay a lot of attention to the letters of Einstein and her place in them. And one of her early champions was actually her daughter-in-law. Hans um, Hans Albert, that was their first son, his wife Frida, knew about these letters that proved Maleva's contribution. And she tried to get them published. She was like, look at this. He references our work, our thing, whatever. She goes, she was instrumental in his success. Like she was working with him. But the official estate of Albert Einstein blocked her. In court, this went to court, and the estate executors executors whatever that word is just gave a big hell no to anything that disrupted what they called the einstein myth so they got this blocked legally she could not publish these letters because of like his legacy yeah that's so fucking dumb Mm -hmm. those letters among many others exposing some of the cracks in the einstein myth would not see the light of day until 1990 when someone did get a hold of the love letters and they published a book about them 
And then in 1996, when they held an auction at Christie's with some of their letters going for around $2 million. But even with all of this proof, people still love to deny that Maleva was involved with Einstein's theories at all. Now, I'm not saying that she came up with them. I'm okay with that solidly being in his camp. But she helped him untangle the jumbled mess that was his mind. And she made these thoughts and ideas palatable to the world. And I want to point out, she's the one writing it up. She's the one putting the postage on it and sending it out. I honestly don't think that he would have ever had the follow through follow through to actually get these out. I think he would have just been ahead, been ahead in the clouds, rich kid who was like, huh, if I was traveling at the speed of the line, I look back at a clock. You know? Right. <laughs> well, and also like, I mean, like you, he said over and over again, like she's the one that's good at math. So it's yeah. like, even if you are coming up with and theorizing Somebody has to test it over and over again. Mm-hmm. So she's his computer. Yeah. She's doing she the route calculations to his theories. Yeah. Because honestly, like, I honestly wonder, and again, I'm not like an Einstein uh, historian or anything like that, but like, I'm no Einstein. I am no Einstein historian. <laughs> but I wonder if like he would have more so taken the route of like, oh, I'm more of like a poetic scientist mm-hmm. when like she was like, oh no, I think you're right and we can back this up with fucking numbers. Like, right, theoretical that's... physics versus applied physics. Yeah. Like, those are different things. Yes. And you need both of them to come up with an equation. Yep, exactly. And I, I think, think he's the theoretical. <laughs> <laughs> Look We're making me. a lot of bold scientific statements <laughs> tonight. talking out of my ass entirely. <laughs> I don't know anything about physics. But yeah, but I think that she was like, let's do the, let's do the work behind this to prove it. And then let's tell it to the world. Right. And preach, baby. It's kind of sad to me that Maleva thought of herself as just this shell that, like, the pearl was in and then the pearl is the only valuable thing. But, like, I think she is the shell, but for a positive reason. She is the environment that the Albert Einstein that we all know could thrive in could thrive in. I mean, because I think if he had any other type of shell, it, it wouldn't have worked. Mm-hmm. And so I'd like to think of her as the most beautiful, amazing Venus producing shell that could have possibly been. Um, and that's how I'd like to put a spin on her negative. <laughs> thing. Poor baby. Oh, all right. And that's it. That's the story. Wow. Of I know. How Crazy, depressing. Right? I know. I hate that. I wish it was better. Yeah. But... I mean, I kind of knew what was coming. You know, I knew he was kind of a shithead to her. I knew she was a first wife. So I knew there was a divorce and that nobody knows who she is. So, yeah. Surprise. Pretty much par for the course. <laughs> so all let's right. talk about these two ladies together. In a little segment, wait, we like to say? We like to call. call. <laughs> Just the two of us. Um, this is a hard one. It's a really hard one. <laughs> I stopped writing after a while because I was just really enthralled with the story. So I was listening. <laughs> but I think um, being a, a, a woman in you know Asia and Europe in the 1800s is similar to being a woman of color in America in the 1990s. I, I'm yeah. terribly so, but yeah. like 
they were both fighting against the man and trying to prove themselves and to prove themselves worthy. Yeah. And I think that it also like that exact struggle really caused them to have, you know, what we call now imposter syndrome. Yeah. You know, I think that at some point Maleva was like, fuck, maybe I'm not very smart. Maybe I'm not supposed to be mm-hmm. a world renowned physicist. Like right. maybe this isn't my path. And like, if, Gwen had really given into that thought of like, well, I only got this job because someone left a fucking racist note on my thing. If she had really given into that and if she had really taken it to heart and allowed it to make her give up, then like we'd be so much worse off, you know? And it makes me upset that like setbacks like that can really cause people to doubt themselves. Right. And I feel like it's even those one moments that make you doubt yourself. But for both of those women, their entire lives they were being accused of not doing the (laughs) The thing that they they were doing which is so frustrating to be like you didn't do the math your husband did and then for Gwen to be like you're reporting but you're not reporting correctly because you're a black woman like literally that's not even reading between the lines that's like literally what they were saying yeah and like I think about the you know and I said and said it goes no one will believe you no one will believe you. And he was right. He was right. <laughs> we still, still. We still don't believe her. Right. And, and it's frustrating, too, because these are things. And the funny thing about Gwen's case is, like, she's like, how would you like me to prove this? Right. That I'm good at my job. You yeah. have all the evidence here. Yeah. You know, here it is. Here's my years of experience, my years of reporting. And Maleva had the same thing. She's like, I have all these letters. I have my grades. I know what I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. But, like, there's still that doubt of when you don't want a person in a position like they had you fail them on the oral exam fail them on the oral exam write about them in the paper because there's no proof they can't do their job because like who's really gonna like yeah who's gonna prove you wrong she they'll say you didn't pass the oral exam you were biased when you asked those questions yeah and it's like how can you prove that that's not right because it is all speculation it's speculative exactly and i think it's really sad to me that like there is like there are a few huge differences in them obviously like they both really wanted careers from an early age like mm-hmm. we talked about like both of their families like really supporting oh yeah their career and they came from a really solid base but for Maleva it it didn't happen and that's one of the things that is so stark to me when we think about how things have changed because she could have been a contemporary of Marie Curie because she was in time. Mm-hmm. She was, they were working at like this. They went on a hike together. Like they're around at the same time. And like but her husband was supportive. Exactly. Right. And Albert Einstein was kind of a dick. Yeah. And, and it doesn't even take a husband like Wilhelmina Fleming just yeah. had a professor. Yeah. Like not even a professor, a guy. She was what? Like a, a maid at like <laughs> in Harvard he literally said my Irish maid could be doing better than this than right. you guys are <laughs> like, and he was totally right come on into Harvard um, <laughs> and I mean she's a contemporary of that too so we think it's like you just I mean you needed a supportive man to vouch mm-hmm. for you and that made me think a lot about John McCain like he yeah. just was ready to vouch for her and it's like it's sad that we still need that in society for somebody to be like, no, I think she can do her job. Yeah. Like literally from the year like 1900 is when I think she was like taking her exams to like fucking 1985. It's like, we're still dealing with the same shit. Not even when did John McCain run for president? That was like 2000. Oh my gosh. That's right. It was so recently. Yeah. 
So 100 years and right. like nothing is different. Women still need <laughs> one man at least to vouch. to vouch for them and be like, she's not lying. She's good at her job. <laughs> and it sucks that with Gwen, you know, that man never betrayed her. Yes. John McCain never came up and was like, oh, well, actually, like, that's why Obama I do won. think she was. That's why yeah. Obama won, because uh-huh. she asked the questions in the fucking vice presidential right. debate, you know. But with Maleva, her sponsor did turn his back on her, which is devastating. Yeah. Because it was not just her sponsor, but it was her partner and her the love of her life. And it's just so devastating to see you know, what a difference, like, just literally, like, a man standing up for you in public can do. He was just too, like, Einstein, in my opinion, was too, like, proud and egotistical. Like, I mean, all those things that his mother had put in his head for years yeah. and years and years, she's not good enough for you, eventually mm-hmm. sunk in. Yeah. And that and th- sucks. And I think he was um subscribing to the thing that the world was telling him, like, you're a genius. You're the smartest person in the world. And he goes, you know what? am so i shouldn't be married to this old woman right but i also think that he did probably have like some sort of like adhd thing going on because like he literally couldn't keep focus on anything let alone a wife so Mm -hmm. i think there's like a lot of like that going on too of like i just don't really i think he was like a very full in kind of person and like when he's in love with malavia he's fucking in love with her and he's obsessed with her yeah but then when he's bored with her he's kind of like something new let me go to my family reunion. Right. Um, <laughs> Ew. <laughs> Worked out for the Roosevelt's. But I do want to say that I think that there's also an interesting thing. Like you mentioned that Gwen made girls feel seen mm-hmm. in the news. And I also think that, that it, it's kind of sad that when Maleva was alive, she was actively hiding her you know, herself to bolster her husband's career. Yeah. You know, and I think there's a big thing about women's visibility in careers that like you really have to fight to be seen. But I am, I am excited about the fact that her daughter-in-law had something to say about it. I know. Because I think she, she must've been an interesting person to be around in the Mm -hmm. fact that she made her daughter-in-law feel seen enough to fight for it. Yep. To be like, no, my mother-in-law is an intelligent, amazing woman. Like, She did half of this shit. Yeah. I just, yeah, I, I love that point that, yeah, it's like maybe Gwen made, you know, thousands of girls feel seen, but Maleva made one girl feel very seen and she's like, well, I'm going to try and fight for her yeah. to get the credit she fucking deserves. You know, she didn't have the television as a yeah. prompter. She had just the women around her. Yeah. And like still to this day, it's like. You know, obviously, when there's a very famous man, people get very defensive of him, you know. And Why? Why? <laughs> Just admit he was kind of a dick. Like, <laughs> people can be geniuses and dicks all at the same time. Yo, TJ. Men also have nuance. Um, <laughs> Surprise! We've been leading up to this. Episode 200. We're switching our gears. <laughs> We're only doing men from here on out. <laughs> Albert Einstein, first one. <laughs> Oh my gosh. All right. Wouldn't that well, be wild? On that note, um, <laughs> are you ready to toast? I am. Who would you like to toast this evening? I want to toast. This is very applicable. I want to <laughs> toast little known names with very recognizable faces and voices. And I just yeah. want to thank them for changing the world, even though they, they're never going to be like a statue in a Times Square. Yeah. They're just a changer. Yep. Oh. Cheers to Gwen. <laughs>
condensed milk all over my glass. I love that. <laughs> I am going to toast the women who make the great men. Because, you know, it's like that quote says, like, behind every great man is a great greater woman, like, whatever. And, like, obviously this is very much the case for this. Mm-hmm. And she just reminded me a lot of, like, Hermione Granger, mm-hmm. just, like, keeping the boys all together and keeping them on track. And, like, mm-hmm. you know, I just... I think that we do need those people, those people to just mm-hmm. like keep the brilliant brains, you know, on like, like doing what they should be doing. You know, I think that that's a really hard thing to do too. And I, and I think that you have to love someone oh, to yeah. do it. You because- can be highly functioning and not highly producing. Yes, exactly. So cheers to the women who make that happen. Cheers. <laughs> Hmm. All right. Mm-mm-mm. What are you enjoying in pop culture this week? Get out of here. <laughs> Wednesday nights. It's about to happen. Okay. Secrets, guys. We record on Wednesday sometimes now. It's crazy. <laughs> Wednesday night at 8 p.m. Mm-hmm. Price is Right at Night comes on from now. On a public channel? Public channel. What? It's amazing. Wow, really trying to get the young folks involved. They really are. I mean, they, I think they know, like, everybody works now. Well, Nobody they're, like, fucking <laughs> watching daytime television. Drew Carey loves the nighttime show. <laughs> I also feel like they're, like, okay, guys, we've got, like, elementary schoolers on sick days and old people locked in. We need to target. Me all summer. <laughs> I love <laughs> fucking Price is Right. It's so fun. It's so good. And I love just on Wednesday nights, we all stop what we're doing and watch it together. Wednesday nights. Wednesday night, 8, 8 p.m. Okay. Uh, Eastern Standard Time. I don't know what time it is everywhere else. But last week, even better, Katie, they had Prices Right at Night Extreme Fan Edition, <gasps> which means everybody got it right within like two seconds. <gasps> they were guessing <laughs> on the scent amount for certain things. It was so fun. That's bananas. It was the best one I've seen in a really long time. I love that. I love it. There were, he was like, so why would you say you're an extreme fan of Prices Right? And he's like, well, I've watched it every day since I was like four. <laughs> and then some people This like, is my job. People would be like, I've been here 16 times. Oh, and you're like, oh, my shit. Gosh. So anyway, it's just really fun. And it's fun to watch with my kids because I have really fond memories of watching that with my mom. So You know what's funny? I have very fond memories of watching it with Jake. Yeah. On snow days. It's like Zach couldn't focus on anything. Josh was smoking pot somewhere. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And so like Jake and I would like curl up in on that the blue, couch together. That, like little blue lazy boy. Oh, it was the best. <laughs> or or the plaid couch with the French horns. Oh yeah, that was great. That was a good one too. And we would just like <laughs> watch prices. It's like those are my favorite childhood memories. And like you know, Jake is so funny. He is just making fun of everything, Every everyone person. on the show, and it's perfect. Yeah. And like I just like. It's actually like a very specifically tied to Jake memory too, yeah. which is funny. Price is right. Is um, well, now we all watch it together. So uh, you should join us it. on Wednesday evening at 8 p.m. You just look around. Yeah. Just kidding. I want to go home. I have a life. <laughs> <laughs> and I hate you guys. And Jake's not here, so. Yeah. So <laughs> it feels he's a little on, He's on a business. <laughs> all right. Okay, well, so what are you into? I am going to promote the book I've been talking about this whole time, The Other Einstein by Marie Benedict. Again, my mom gave it to me for Christmas a couple years ago. I read it. I loved it and I now that you know the story too like I think you're gonna be like wow like this is probably how it went down like (laughs) this is probably what she was thinking good that's what I love about historic fiction because like obviously we can all read biographies of like this is what we know happened Mm -hmm. but it's like 
Well, this is what I think happened based off of what we know happened. Right. You know, which I also love that conversation. Mm -hmm. Like, I love that she explores, like, you're in that fucking room in Lake Como in Italy when, like, Einstein's like, it's not that big of a deal. Like, let's just have sex. Like, I love you. And, like, so many girls can attest to that feeling. (laughs) They can? <laughs> and then they end up right. Ooh. Ooh. So I'm going to recommend it because I really loved it. Yeah. Um, and I probably recommended it like years ago when I actually read it. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's great. Perfect. All right. Well, thank you for listening. This was a joy. A yeah. treat. Our 200th episode. What What a feat. This is That was our 400th woman. Can you believe that? I can't. I know. I, I can't, can't either. It. I can't, that's our 400th cocktail. Mm, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and our 10,000th calorie. <laughs> but thank you all again for being here if you wouldn't mind pop over to apple podcasts and rate and review us we would absolutely appreciate it adore it it. we would adore it um and you can join us on all the social medias especially for tipsy tuesday where we post our fun cocktails and you can play a game and try and see who made what cocktail yeah on instagram stories very fun um but mostly oh and then also join us for our live show yeah be a good March twenty fourth, uh, but mostly we want you to never forget that well-behaved women can make pasta sauce from scratch. Oh, they can with the oxtails and all. Yeah, uh, but they really make history. Goodbye. <laughs> <Bye. laughs>